Great to have you back here on the Top Cheddar Podcast. I'm Cam Moon along with Rob Wallisher and we always seem to get the, the best guests and this week is no change. We've got Jesse Wallen, a former National Hockey League defenseman with the Detroit Red Wings, former WHLer with the Red Deer Rebels, a longtime coach in the WHL and now the chief amateur scout with the Detroit Red Wings. And before we bring him in, Rob, of course, we've got our great sponsor. We got to pump that tire. Yeah, totally. Like you said, uh, we ain't making calls, we ain't making sales, right there, Mooner? That's right. You know it. Uh, big thanks to our sponsor. We've got twigandberries.ca, a men's apparel website. You head there, folks, if you need underwear, and we all do. We we know Mooner yeah. wears his underwear most days. Most of them. And and on those days, you want to head to twigandberries.ca. They've got all kinds of apparel, awesome hoodies as, you know, the weather starts to get a little bit chillier here. You want to check that out. So thanks to uh, twigandberries.ca uh, joining us here on Top Cheddar. And Jesse, I, I'm excited to, to hear your story. So Mooner, lead us down the path of uh, some great questions here. Oh, I can't wait. I can't wait to tell <laughs> stories with Jesse. Hey, Jesse, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely, Mooner. Good to, uh, good to see you. Always well, good to be on your shows. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's nice to to talk some hockey, even though we don't you know we don't have a lot of it right now, but that's okay. We can still tell some stories. Uh, we're gonna go through your your career, starting with your time here with the Red Deer Rebels, uh, four seasons from North Battleford, Saskatchewan. You're a first round pick of the Red Deer Rebels. You came in here for the ninety four ninety five season. Would have been your first year. What was that like, Jesse, coming from North Battleford to Red Deer when you, I know you had been at camp the year before as a 15, but when you came in and you were a full-time player at 16, how was that for you? Well, the sad part, Mooner, is it's getting harder and harder to remember. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it's scary how long ago that, that is now, but um, in some ways it seems like forever ago and in other ways it seems like it was yesterday, but uh it was very, what I remember the most, it was just really, really exciting. It, uh, you know, it was the start. I always say, you know, when I was coaching and, and you know, dealing with players today, the young players, like it, it's kind of the, the dream within the dream. It's the start of the, it's the, the first dream before your NHL dream in a lot of ways. And, and to come into the Western Hockey League, you know, I'd, I'd played with players that were, you know, a year or two older than me, most of the way up, but all of a sudden you're playing against guys that are, you know, I was 60 and you're playing against 20 year olds, guys that you've watched play in the league over a period of three or four years previous. So um, it, it was really exciting. And it just, I remember how, how close you kind of felt to be in there. You, you grew up with this dream of playing in the national hockey league and all of a sudden you're plopped on the ice in junior hockey and you're playing with guys that some of them have played in the league already. They've gone to NHL camps. They've played some NHL games. So I remember just feeling really close to it like this dream is really near and it's 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 uh you, you could smell it and it was all really exciting at the time the the centrium was brand new it was a really exciting time in red deer they had this new arena the new hockey team and um it was just a very vibrant community that uh for myself coming from saskatchewan it was it was a little bit of culture shock but it was still the prairies as opposed to going to the u.s or bc so i it still felt like home and uh, really was embraced by the community. Let a, met a lot of uh, incredible people here who still remain friends. And, um, you know, never at that point in time did I ever imagine that I'd still be uh, living here and part of the community today. But it's uh, it's been an incredible journey. Well, we couldn't shake you. That's the thing. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You tried to kick me out of town. Yeah, you we tried. tried. To it never Stuck takes. Around. That, that first year, uh, in a previous episode, we had uh, Glenn Goodall as our guest, longtime Seattle Thunderbird, played six years, has all sorts of WHL records. He lives here in the area in central Alberta, a realtor in Sylvan Lake. That first year that you played was the last year that Seattle played in that old rink on Mercer Street, which is kind of right by where the key arena is, but it isn't the key arena. And you and I have talked about it so many times. And Rob, you played in that old rink as a visitor, as did I, as did you, Jesse, that to me, that was one of the old classic rinks in the WHL because there was nothing really like it. Not many rinks are like that. They wouldn't make rinks like that. Why would you? But uh, what, uh, what's your memories of uh, that first year when you went through and played in Seattle? <laughs> well, that one sticks out as the most prominent of all of them, but 
Um, in those days, of course, there were only 16 teams my first year in the league. So I think we, we had uh, nine in what was the Eastern Conference, and there were seven on the, on the Western side. So we used to call it was the coast trip. And you went out there once a season, and you ran off seven games in nine or ten nights, and you played every team out there. And so it was, it was the big team builder and it was the, you know, it, it had some aura around it. And we always made our trip in during November, during the, uh, uh, agri trade, we were kicked out of the arena. So it would have been November of 1994. And I remember crawling on the bus. We had a practice at about six o'clock at night and, uh, had dinner, excuse me, dinner after and hopped on the bus and made the trip overnight. And the first thing I remember is that I had the flu. And I remember sitting up at the front of the bus on the steps at about four in the morning and old Lanny was driving, and uh, Pete Anholt was the coach, and I remember letting her buck in the garbage can at the front of the bus. So that, that was my welcome to junior wow. hockey. You really know you're playing in the league when you're, when you're throwing up in the garbage can at the front Real of the bus. Real supportive so, teammates, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we're, not, yeah. we're not stopping. No, we're not stopping, and God, could you just keep it down? We're trying to sleep. Yeah. So uh, – so that, that's the first memory. And then the, the first game, I remember we got to Seattle. I'd never been to the States before. The world was a lot smaller, especially for a, a kid from Saskatchewan in those days. I'd never been on an airplane, never been further than BC. So we get into, uh, into uh, Seattle that morning. And I just, I remember the, the size of the, the downtown, the skyscrapers, the, the amount of people, the congestion. I'd never seen anything like it. My nose was just glued to the window the whole trip. And then we, we got in, we practiced first thing. And I remember in the old Mercer Arena, and there were yeah. rats straight around. And yeah. we went out for practice. We come off the ice, and Pete Anholtz lost his wallet. So in those <laughs> days, you had your coach and you had the trainer. There was no one else. So Pete lost his, he had his wallet stolen. <laughs> There goes our hotel for the night. <laughs> exactly, hotel, food. <laughs> it, it was quite the debacle to get the trip started. <laughs> but uh, the old Mercer Arena Mooner, I remember sitting on that bench, and it was, as you remember, a very, very close-knit arena. Like yeah. it, Everything was on top of you. The corners were square, and they had a team that was, you know, again, a different era, and – very physical, big guys. Their back end had Brendan Witt and Brett Duncan and, and Lloyd Shaw, who I later played with in Red Deer and is a good friend, but he was just a big, scary guy at that time. Uh, Paul Ferrone up front, they just they had a whole bunch of uh, – just a huge team to play in this little building, and they were physical. And we ended up in a line brawl with them. And I've never heard noise like I heard in, in that moment. It was deafening. There were people climbing up the glass. There were people throwing stuff on the ice. It was five on five on the ice. And there were people coming over the bench behind us. And I remember, I remember just sitting on the bench looking around and going, what did I get myself into? <laughs> uh, Nothing better. <laughs> oh, it was wild and crazy. So that was, that was, you know, one of those, another step, a welcome to the league moment. But uh, we survived and I survived and uh, hopped on the bus after, and my next memory was driving down the uh, the I-5 going south from Seattle to Tacoma on our way to the Tacoma Dome in those days. And uh, we're driving along, driving along, driving along. We go about 20 minutes down the highway, and then we all of a sudden we're turning off. I said, where are we going? Well, we're here. I said, what do you mean we're here? We've never left Seattle. <laughs> uh, this is Tacoma. There's, there's, there's not big, wide-open spaces down here. It's just one big city when you have little streets that yep. divide it. So. Lots of uh, lots of learning crammed into a, a nine day trip, but uh, great fond memories. And you know, the best part is doing with all your uh, all your teammates. We, as you know, became very close on those trips and spent a lot of nights on the bus. Some 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 sleeping, some not not yeah. sleeping, some sleep less. But uh, um, yeah, great times and uh, uh, enjoyed every minute in the league. That Tacoma yeah. was always some hockey rink, you know, playing in a place built for indoor football. Uh, well, they have like a row or two around the rink and then about 10 yards. To the... Exactly. And then one big bowl. And I think they had yeah. 55 people the night we were there in a 20,000 oh. seat building. I will give hey. them credit. My one memory, they had cheerleaders and, uh, we had not seen cheerleaders in our, our era <laughs> until Tacoma. So thank you, Tacoma. Yeah. Tacoma <laughs> did step up. I will give them that. I remember that, that old Tacoma Dome. If you were in row 25, you're about eight miles back from the, from the actual <laughs> no ice. Doubt. Oh, yeah. my God. That was a bad rank for, for hockey anyway. Uh, Jesse, in Red Deer, your last year? No, the year before that, the 96-97 season. That was the year you guys went to the Eastern Conference Final. Um, 
you guys had some, you, know, you made trades. You got Terry Ryan in from Tri-Cities. I mean, it, it was a really good Red Deer team. And, and to that point, the Rebels hadn't had that type of success yet. So it was the first time Central Alberta had, had gone on a playoff run like that. Uh, I know you've watched the, the highlight video, uh, you know, since that time. And, and just explain to me, capture for me the essence of what Central Alberta was like during that playoff run. Uh, well, it, it, it sounds cheesy, Mooner, but really it, it, it was magical. Like mm -hmm. <clears throat> to that point in time, as you said, it was, it was just a really exciting time in, in Red Deer. And, and again, the, the rink was still relatively new. The team was new. Uh, when I came into the league, my, my first year in the league was the third year of the team. And so as an expansion team, they, they had, you know, a, a, a decent team that had a fair degree of success coming into the league, but um, kind of got through those first couple of years where they had a lot of players from the expansion draft. And then going into year three, it was, okay, we got to try and build something here and, and see if we can build a contender. And we had a lot of good young players that were, were in the system um, and, and entering the league. So they made a decision to kind of go young. And we had five of us that were 16 year olds and I think five 17 year olds, which again, isn't totally uncommon today, but at that point in time with 16 mm -hmm. teams, very rare and, and we were a very young team and we we took our licks like we you know we were often overmatched I remember you know we played uh, Medicine Hat and Lethbridge 10 times or 12 times each in those days and I remember being squared off against Stacy Roost every night playing Medicine Hat and the guy just used to torch me um, you know I just wasn't wasn't ready to play against him yet and and uh, um, so we we took our licks and it was a tough goal and the next year uh, we got you know, kind of marginally better. I think we went from 17 wins to 25 wins, but we had myself and Lance Ward were drafted in the first round and, and Aaron Ashton was a draft in the third. And Johnny Zakuski went in the fourth round. So Mike McBain had been a second, early second round pick mm -hmm. the year before. So now that 96-97 season that you speak of, we were we were now a team kind of coming into our own. Those guys were all 18-19 and, and – uh, we added some guys along the way. Greg Schmidt was, uh, came into the league as an 18 year old with me in 94. So he was a 20 year old on our team that year, uh, made the trade for Terry Ryan, uh, had brought Lloyd Shaw in as a, a big stabilizing physical presence on the back end. So, um, uh, we had a, a really, uh, a really tight knit group that had grown together through a lot of adversity and, and we were ready to take on the league. And, and we did, we, uh, we got rolling and had a, really good start to the season. Terry Ryan came in in January that year. He had started the season with the Canadians in Montreal, had been injured with a concussion and didn't play for the first half. So once he got healthy, they sent him back to us. Wayne Simpson, had, I don't remember exactly when he made the deal, but uh, if it was a deadline deal or a little before, but regardless, uh, TR came in and just added so many elements to our team. He was a guy that could, could score. He played physical. Um, he brought a lot of character to, to the dressing room on the ice and, um, so we just really took off over that second half, adding him and, and really uh, uh, coming into our own, so to speak. And, and the city got, uh, you know, they tasted it the season before. We'd, we'd uh, won our first playoff round against Swift Current. That's one of my favorite memories. Um, we're, we're the underdogs in the series. And, and I remember in game six, we won at home and the entire building was on its feet for the last 10 minutes of the game. It was, it was surreal. And, and of course, again, being a young player, we'd never experienced that before and I'll never forget that moment and I think having tasted that the year before the fan base was so excited going into that uh, that next year and, and going into those playoffs and we dispatched Regina I believe it was five five games in the first round they had, they had a good team Derek Morris Brad Stewart on the back end um, so we got through those guys and and uh, then we played Swift Current in the next round who we seem to play every year and uh we took them out in six games in a hard-fought series um, and then uh, came up against the Lethbridge Hurricanes. And, and it was kind of a foregone conclusion at that point, I think, in, uh, that whoever won that series was going to win the league. And Lethbridge had a real good team as well, and they'd made a deadline deal to pick up Chris Phillips and, uh, and Shane Willis out of Prince Albert. So uh, it was a battle of the Titans, and uh, I believe we won game one down in Lethbridge. I, I, I know it was one of, it was either game one or game two, but we came back home 1-1 and uh, we lost game three at home, which was a, a heartbreaker because I, I thought we played really well in that game, had 
had a couple of really good opportunities to to put the game away in the third period uh, and didn't and ended up losing and, and then losing game four, obviously going down three, one uh, was a backbreaker and weren't able to recover. But uh, um, you know, it, it was a great, great experience. Uh, one of my fondest hockey memories and also one of my most disappointing, because I really feel we had a team that, uh, that was capable of winning the Memorial cup that year. Lethbridge ended up going to the final against uh, Hull. I, I believe they lost in overtime. I know it was a real good game. Um, but I, I, I remember watching the rest of those playoffs and just feeling like that, that could have been us and, you know, credit to Lethbridge. They, they played very well and, and they beat us and, uh, not taking anything away from them. But I do feel that, uh, we, we were capable of beating them and, and, uh, that's always been, uh, disappointing for me and continues to be. Yeah. An exciting series an exciting season, real exciting season for you. I mean, earlier that year you played with Team Canada at the World Junior Championships and you get a gold medal. Was that, it was in Switzerland, wasn't it? Switzerland? Yeah, Geneva, Switzerland. Yeah, yeah. yeah. what was that like? Uh, awesome experience, Moore. Um, and again, I, I mentioned this earlier, but when you, you know, going through this as a young player, there's, there's so many things that happen to you so quickly when you hit that stage. And you know, so going, going through my second year in the league, your draft year, um, all of a sudden the, the top prospects game was that January, uh, graduated from high school. We went through the, the NHL draft um, in, in, you know, through May and June going through. In those days, there was no combine, so we used to fly around. And, and actually, we were the impetus for the combine because they, they realized, you know, we can't fly these kids around every weekend to, to various places and do fitness testing. So they they implemented the combine after that to sort of alleviate the pressures on the kids, but um, went through that, got drafted uh, a month later, you're at the world junior camp. And a month after that, you're at your first NHL camp, which is, you know, obviously a, a small dream come true. And, um, and then, you know, fast forward three or four months later and, and you're playing in the world junior tournament. And you look back to the previous Christmas when you were just a kid going home and, and all these things happened in the span of uh, 10 months. So it was a really, really exciting time and having the opportunity to play for team Canada, play in the world juniors. I'd watched it on TV since 90 or 91 or maybe before that, it, it, it became a real big deal there. And in, in uh, when I was around nine or 10 years old and all of a sudden to be dropped into the middle of it and playing in it, uh, it was just, phenomenal we had a great group of guys on that team we we weren't ba uh, the most talented team and you look back and realize you, you know it, it wasn't a group that had a whole bunch of guys that had long and and uh um, exciting nhl careers but we really gelled as a team we had a, a tremendous group of guys we were led by mike babcock that was uh bab's first big major event and and uh kind of put his name on on the map so to speak and uh just I, I think the thing that I cherished the most was just the opportunity to play against the best players in the world. And, and you're all the same age and it's the best of the best. And um, it was just the competition was fantastic. The pace of play was phenomenal. And uh, we, we ended up playing the U.S. in the, in the final. And I remember going into that game, Radar Horning, uh, of course, Red Deer Rebels, longtime trainer. Yeah. He was uh, our trainer with uh, the Canadian team that year. So he and I were with the Canadians and then the U.S. had Mike McBain and B.J. Young, two teammates here in Red Deer. So I remember lining up for the opening face-off and Youngsy was on right wing and Boehner was on left defense for the U.S. and I was on left defense for, for Canada. I remember looking across at those guys thinking, geez, this is, this is pretty cool. Well, you know, some, one of us has gone yeah. home with a gold medal and quickly thereafter, I thought oh, it better damn well be me. Yeah. <laughs> so, fortunately, it was. We... Uh, it was a hard fought game and, and at points of the game, they outplayed us. We had Mark Denis in goal and he was phenomenal. Uh, really cool story. Uh, Mark had a, an NHL career, played in Colorado uh, for a long time. I think he was in Columbus for a while, um, but really he was a guy that could have been a captain of that team. Brad Larson was our captain, but, but uh, Mark was a, a returning player and, and just a really high character guy. And, I remember going into that gold medal game, we were getting dressed and you could hear a pin drop in the dressing room. Everyone was very focused and, and dialed in and kind of alone with their thoughts. And I remember Mark and E looking up at one point and he wasn't speaking to anyone in particular. He was just kind of looking at the floor across the room. And, and I remember him saying, boys, just get me one. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's all it took. He was, he was phenomenal. He stood on his head that game. 
and uh, you know, just an incredible moment to uh, to get to carry that flag around with a gold medal with my teammates. Uh, nothing better. Yeah, I remember watching that. That was an amazing game. Denis was was outstanding. Uh, your first round pick of the Detroit Red Wings, and uh, you know, after your time in Red Deer, you moved to the American Hockey League. But then you get you know some games with Detroit before you became a regular. But a couple of years in the American League. Now that was a Detroit team that was pretty stacked. I mean, coming off some some uh, Stanley Cups in the in the mid to later '90s, and then you know moving towards into the 2000s. What was that like, uh, Jesse, stepping in from from junior hockey to pro hockey to one of the best teams in pro hockey? <laughs> well, well, it was a catch twenty two, Mooner. Um, yeah. You know, first of all, it was extremely exciting to be. Um, you know, a part of the Red Wings organization. And, and uh, I'll, I'll never forget my first training camp and walking into that dressing room and, and just looking around at the names. And, uh, you know, it was full of surreal moments and cool experiences. But, but one, of the, one of the greatest things for me, uh, of course, growing up an Oilers fan from Saskatchewan and, and the few NHL games I got to attend as a kid were in, in Edmonton. And I remember... Uh, uh, you know, skating was one of the strengths of my game. And I remember as a kid, my dad always focused on my skating. And we talked about that a lot. And I remember being at Oilers games at, uh, at Northlands Coliseum in those days. And, and my dad pointing to Paul Coffey and saying, you know, that's the guy you want to skate like, like watch him skate. And always kind of focused on him uh, as a player. So fast forward to 1996, my first NHL camp. And lo and behold, I, I'm sitting in the dressing room besides none other than Paul Coffey. And Jeez. I it just, uh, you know, literally had to pinch myself and, and cough, I guess was, was really notorious about his equipment. And, and he used to, I mean, he used those old wooden Sherwood sticks and whenever he had his skate sharpened, he'd, he'd sharpen down the top or uh, file down the top of his stick a little bit so that everything always matched up. He was, he was meticulous that way. But when it came to his skates, he, he, he would try anything. He would try skates that were too big. I think he typically wore skates that were a size or two too small, but he was always trying on different skates and, and the skate reps always had, you know, different skates for him. So during training camp, we were, we were uh, playing in, uh, we had two different groups. It was a game group and a practice group. And, and so we happened to be in different groups. So I'm getting ready. We were on the ice second and I'm, I'm uh, putting my gear on and I go to put my skates on and my skates aren't in my stall. So I figured Polly Boyer's got them. He must be sharpening them. And so I went back to Polly's room and, and uh, he said, I don't have your skates. I sharpened them last night. They should be hanging in your stall. I said, well, they're not in my stall. So now I'm panicked. We've got about 10 minutes to get on the ice, and I'm running around the dressing room trying to figure out where are my skates. Did someone take them? Someone playing a joke on me? No one's, no one's fessing up. So I'm at my wit's end. I'm sitting there trying to figure out, going through my stall for the 10th time, and all of a sudden, cough comes walking off the ice from the previous skate. And he goes, hey, kid, you got these skates are way too stiff. He just grabbed them out of my stall and throwing them on and uh, went <laughs> for wheeling him so um so I, that was kind of a neat uh neat experience pulled him off of paul coffee's feet and placed him <laughs> up on my own quick and out i went but uh but yeah i mean it, it was really incredible getting to play with those guys uh you know coffee was there my first camp vladdy constantinov was still playing vladimir uh, or vladislav fatisov who was a legend and and uh um, nick lidstrom was just becoming nick lidstrom so you know, getting to play with those guys and then moving forward, Larry Murphy came in and Chris Chelios came in a year after that. And, and so, you know, I felt like I was going to the, the Harvard of hockey for a defenseman, getting to pick these guys' brains and play with them every day and practice and whatnot. But, but all of a sudden you're, you know, at 18, that's kind of neat because you're, you're, you're just a young guy learning and soaking it up. And all of a sudden you turn pro and you're getting 21, 20, 22 years old. And you're like, well, where do I fit in here? <laughs> And, uh, so it was a tough grind trying to, trying to make the, make the team. And, um, you know, there were times I looked back and, and, you know, maybe had I been drafted elsewhere or maybe had I even been moved, I'd have had a, a better opportunity to, to break into a lineup. And yet I, I wouldn't trade the experiences I, I got to have there for anything. Right. And I think, uh, you know, the, the opportunities that I did get to play, I, I, uh, you know, established that I could play there. I had a tough time with, with injuries, had the car accident, uh, coming out of junior when I turned pro and missed a year of hockey and um, you know, thereafter had had some sports hernia issues and, and different things that, that really set me back. But 
um, in the end, I was able to play. I was able to prove I could play and it was short lived and didn't, uh, wasn't the career that I wanted to have, but getting to play, um, with that group of players, learn from those guys, experience winning a Stanley cup. It was an incredible experience. It's everything you dream about as a kid. And, and I think it set me up well for my career after my playing days. I, I certainly leaned on those experiences as a coach, as a manager in the Western league. And, and now as a, as a, an NHL scout, it's, uh, their experiences that I, I, you know, cherish and, and definitely uh, look back on uh, as part of, you know, building teams now and the players we look for and the attributes we look for in players. That that run of the 0-2 playoffs, uh, Detroit wins the Stanley Cup, uh, played Carolina in the final, and you were up. You were up for the. You were up with that that whole thing. You were there for the 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 entire run. What uh, that had to be like an experience that um, you know something you're never gonna forget. Yeah, no question. Uh, and, and really, you know, all of it just, just really tried to soak it up as a young player. And, and it really got to see the, the ebbs and flows of, of not only playoff series, but just an entire playoffs, the, the myriad of emotions and, and watching that group handle it. Um, they were a group that was obviously a, a veteran team with a lot of, um, you know, star players, Hall of Famers, and, and they'd been through the war before. And uh, for, for the core group there, this was their attempt at their third cup. And um, so they'd, they'd won a couple already. They knew what it took. And I remember that, that first series we played Vancouver and we were heavily favored. We were, you know, heavy favorites to win the cup going into the playoffs. And, and all of a sudden we were down, bang, bang, we're down two nothing at home going back to Vancouver. And the entire hockey world, seemingly had written us off. It was the, you know, the Red Wings were too old. The Red Wings were choking. Um, Vancouver had outplayed us and, and, you know, now they're going back home and there's no way we're going to be able to dig out of this hole. And I'll never forget, like, you know, Steve Eisman is, is uh, every, everything that you hear about, he's that and more and just an incredible human being and uh, very, very powerful personality and, and powerful persona and he was a guy that never uh, to this day I've never seen Stevie blow his stack he's he's very even keel very methodical and I'll never forget getting into Vancouver and you know the team was guys were handling it well but it was you know it was a little bit somber and um, I remember Stevie before practice we we, we got in and, and we're having our first skate in Vancouver it was an off day we played the next day and Stevie stood up and spoke for about five minutes which wasn't something he did a lot of he didn't really address the group a lot um but he just talked about how we were we were a good team and this doesn't change anything and they're you know seven game series for a reason and and all the rest and just talked about who we were as a group and 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 you know we had this group of veteran players but that that talk really set the tone for everything that we went through the remainder of the playoffs and I think he just kind of galvanized the group and um, calmed everybody down. And from then on that, that game three, it was a game that, uh, Nick Lidstrom scored mm -hmm. on, uh, Dan Cloutier from the blue line. And, and really from then on, even though we were, we ended up winning that game, we're still down two one, but I remember the dressing room. It was like, there, there wasn't a doubt that we were going to come back and win that series. And whether it took six games or seven games that nobody knew, and it didn't matter, but the group just knew that we were going to win that series. And, um, once we got through that, you could just kind of see everything take off and, uh, Played St. Louis in the next round. I believe it was a five-game win, and then uh, came up against Colorado in the in the third round. And of course, this is still a heyday yeah. of the Detroit-Colorado rivalry, and that was an extremely intense series. It went the distance. Uh, game six, we were actually down three to two going into Colorado, and that was the night. Uh, um, I'm sure you'll remember, um, but Patrick Waugh made the save. Lifted, oh yeah, lifted the arm up, dropped the puck, and Shanny batted it in behind him, and that that really, uh, you know, at that point we were on the ropes and and uh, ended up winning that game and came back and and ran over them. I think the final was seven one in Detroit in Game Seven, and uh, so we went into the 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 final series against Carolina on a high. We'd come through um, some of those, you know, the toughest opponents, and and, and going through Colorado was always a big deal. So. Uh, I remember the team was locked and loaded and really feeling good about uh, about that final series and Carolina put up a you know a, a good fight but we were just a better team we were so deep and the guys at that point were really 
confident and feeling good and rolling and uh, ended up winning the cup in five and uh, amazing experience going through that and being on the ice and sharing out with, uh, with the guys and being a part of it as a young player was pretty special. I remember when you had the cup here in red Deer, uh, right here by the rink. And yeah, that was, that was, that was pretty exciting for sure. Did you um, share a beverage with you, Mooner? Uh, yeah. Out of yeah. The cup? We, we might've, uh, we might've had a beverage maybe. I can't remember. That's a long time ago. Eat some cereal. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's been a lot of things done <laughs> with the bad cup. Yeah, and then after you're done playing pro, uh, Jesse, you come to you come to Red Deer. You were here uh, as a coach, first as an assistant, then the head coach. Uh, and God knows we had a lot of good times. But what I wanted <laughs> to ask you about, and it has nothing to do with that part of it, it was you coached at the U18s twice. Once as an assistant coach, 2008, Pat Quinn was the head coach, and then as a head coach in 2012. But 2008, you guys were, you were in Belarus, but you were in Russia before that. Is, is that how it was? That, uh, no, vice versa. We were in Minsk to Bel- start okay. competition game or tournament there, and then flew from there to, uh, to Russia. The tournament was in Kazan, Russia. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Cause I remember you, you were in, you were in both. Um, I've never been to Russia. Uh, I don't know how many people in, in, in North America have gone to Russia, but everybody that goes, uh, certainly the hockey folk, it, it's always quite an experience because it's so different. How did you enjoy going to Russia? <laughs> well, you're, you're, there's no question it's different. It's different in uh, so many ways and, and it really, different depending on where you go when you uh when you go to moscow it's you know it's it's the epicenter and it's uh it's a big city and they've they've got everything we have so to speak um but when you go just about anywhere else it's a very different part of the world and um there's parts of it that are very beautiful and there's parts of it that they're they're very desolate but um that particular trip was uh uh that was actually my first time being in russia so we we started in belarus and quick, quick little story, because this, this really sets the tone for what Russia is all about. Um, but we're in, we're in Minsk, and we, we had played, there was ourselves, the Finns, and the Belarusian team. And we had a little pre-competition tourney between the, the three teams. We each played each other once, and, and then we were all flying to, uh, to Kazan together on this charter flight. And I, I, it was a Russian airline. I don't know if it was Aeroflot or what it was. It doesn't matter. So we all get to the airport and they had this huge, I think it was a 747 and they had it kind of sectioned cordoned into three, three sections. So they had one team at the back, then a bunch of empty seats and then another team in the middle. We were in the middle, a bunch of empty seats and another team at the front. So we all get loaded on, <coughs> excuse me. We all get loaded onto the plane. We're sitting down, we're buckled in, we're all ready to go. And all of a sudden the engines start shutting down and say, Oh, everybody off the plane. We've got to get everybody off the plane. And nobody knows what's going on. So we all get off the plane. Well, there's not enough room for all the bags, all the hockey equipment. We've got three teams. We've got to get trunks and hockey bags and everybody's suitcases for three weeks. So there's not enough room for everything on this plane. So, all right, we assume they're getting a bigger plane. I don't know what plane they're going to get that's bigger than the plane we had, but fair enough. They're getting us a bigger plane. So we wait for about two hours and the plane doesn't move from the gate. We're just kind of sporadically looking out the window and then all of a sudden, okay, we got to line up and we're going back out there. So we start walking out on, and we load off the tarmac. So you walk out the door and they have stairs up into the plane. Well, we get out onto the tarmac and the first thing I see is about 25 rows of seats that are out on the tarmac over on the side. And Ronnie Pyatt, who's a, a good friend of mine and, and now uh, scouts for the LA Kings, he, he was the team manager at the time. And I looked over at Ronnie and I said, what the hell is this? He goes, I don't know. So, so asking some questions so sure enough they'd, they'd taken all the seats out of the plane or enough seats that they could throw the throw the gear up there so this just didn't feel right and of course it's hard to envision air canada pulling that off so i was kind of panicked and i said to ryan I, i've been flying my my uh i have an uncle who's a private pilot i've been flying with him since i was three years old i've, I've never been scared to fly but i was petrified to get on that plane because it's a russian plane and this just doesn't feel right. So Ronnie's on the phone back to Hockey Canada, trying to sort things out on his end. And you know, do we have to do this? And they're telling us we have to go. And I told Ronnie, like, hey, listen, I'm not getting on that plane. This isn't right. There's no way I'm getting on that plane. And finally, he looks at me. He says, Wally, 
I can't make you get on the plane. You don't have to get on the plane, but we're getting on the plane. The plane is gone. So you can either hop on or you can stay here. So I turned around, I looked back and I saw the three Belarusian security guards with their M16 rifles and decided I didn't want to stay there by myself. So hmm. I opted to jump on that plane. And uh, I, I thought I was going to regret it when we first got off the ground. Um, I, 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 I got the picture somewhere. I should have had it ready to show you if I'd known this was going to come up. But there's a picture. <laughs> Pat Quinn was the head coach. Guy Boucher was one of the other assistant and, and myself. And I get a picture of the three of us at the front of the plane. And we're looking back at the camera. And all you see is this mound of hockey bags. They threw all the, they got all the teams off the plane. And then they put all the bags at the front and strapped them down with, with nets. Now, I don't know how we'd have gotten out of that plane if it had crashed, but uh, that was probably a point they weren't too worried about. Um, anyway, got up in the air, we made the flight. Everything actually went pretty smoothly until it was time to come into land. Well, you've never seen a plane drop as fast as that one did every time they throttled it back. We, I think we descended from 35,000 feet in about three increments of 12,000. And uh, by the time we hit the runway, it felt like we were taking off again. We were going so fast just to keep that thing in the air. I didn't think they were ever going to stop the plane, but somehow we managed to. Uh, got to the end of the runway, and then a little kid that looked like he was about 12 years old was on a bike, and we followed him into the to the gate, and then we were in Russia. Uh, so, welcome wow. That was welcome. my welcome to Russia moment. Wow, that is – that's something. Yep. Uh, yeah, it was it was scary. It was scary. So it's not a place you'd want to go very far on your own. Yeah, I'm guessing not. You want to travel with a, you want to travel with a buddy. The buddy system is very important in Russia. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would think so for sure. Uh, That was a pretty good team. Didn't you guys won that tournament? Did you? We did. Yeah. 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 You guys had a pretty loaded up club, didn't you? We did. We did. Had a real good team. Uh, We had Jake Allen and goal. Uh, Our defense, we had, uh, uh, Ryan Ellis was a uh, power play specialist on that team. He didn't play five on five. He was a, an underage player, uh, but real good on the power play. Um, Tyler Myers from the Canucks was on that team. Marco Scandella, uh, Colby Roback, who spent some time in Florida. Mm-hmm. Uh, Colton Tubert, who, of course, played with three giant pats, a good Western League boy. Um, so we, we had a real good back end. Uh, up front, we had... A real good mix, some, some good leaders. Uh, our top line was Taylor Hall, Jordan Eberle, and Cody Hodgson, who surprisingly hasn't, uh, hasn't had a real good NHL career. I, I, I thought he would, just given the, the type of character that he had and whatnot. Not sure what happened with him, but that was our top line, and those guys were, uh, were you know, dominant throughout the tournament, certainly in that final game. But we had a real good supporting cast as well. Just, uh, again, a team that really bought into what we were – uh, trying to do as a group and bought into playing, playing roles. And Pat Quinn obviously had a, a huge impact on that. There was nobody was going to come in and, and question, uh, you know, this, this commanding presence who had 40 years of NHL coaching experience under his belt at that point. So uh, really, really cool experience for everyone involved from, you know, obviously the kids getting to play at that level and, and have the opportunity to win. But uh, even for young coaches, myself and, and Guy Boucher to, have the opportunity to work and and work with and learn from Pat Quinn and and Pat was just you know he was like our you know I don't like to say it this way because he 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 didn't have that persona but he he was just so wise he was more like even a grandpa than a dad like he Mm -hmm. he just had been so had so much experience and and it went back to you know the 70s he started coaching with Fred Shiro in Philadelphia and um, you know, the, the stories he could tell and the experience that he had. And I remember, I'll never forget before the gold medal game and Guy and I are running around the room, hustling around, making sure guys are prepared and ready to go. And, and finally Pat just said, boys, come here. And we sat down, there was the two of us and Al Murray and Ronnie Pyatt. And, um, you know, we sat down in, in the coaches room and, and Pat just said, you know, the, the work is done boys. It's on the boys now. We just guide them, but they gotta, they gotta do their thing. So we sat there for about 40 minutes before the game and, and Pat just told stories and he talked about, uh, you know, going, going back to, you know, his days when he first started coaching and, and, you know, being an assistant coach when there were no assistant coaches and, and, you know, working in the summer because they didn't make any money and, you know, going through law school, which he, he did, uh, when he first started. So it, it was just, uh, 
a really cool experience to, to get to sit and listen to him, but also a cool experience to just get to watch him and learn just, you know, here's this guy that we think as coaches that we impact so much, but at the end of the day, you, you just guide. And he was so comfortable in that, that we're, you know, I'm going to be here when they need us right now. They don't need us. They just need us to stay out of the way. And his calm demeanor and his presence that way was just yeah, really like uh, enlightening. Yeah. yeah. Taking uh, the, the work of, from the coaching with, with a lot of the, you know, younger men coming up in the game, was that part of the bridge for you, Jesse, like getting into your role and scouting with, with the Red Wings? Tell, tell us a bit about that transition from, from coaching to scouting. Uh, well, it, it wasn't unlike uh, my transition from playing to coaching, Wally. I, I, you know, my career ended as a player uh, due to injury unexpectedly um, way earlier than I certainly anticipated or wanted it to. And when I, uh, when I was finished, I really wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Um, I wasn't healthy and I, and my focus was really on just kind of getting healthy at that point in time, but at the same time, trying to move forward and figure out where I was going to go in life. And I, you know, thought I was going to go to school and I actually, I did start uh, taking classes at Red Deer College. I intended to go, uh, move forward and get my business degree. And along the way I had the opportunity, I sat down with, uh, uh, with Brent Daryl, I, I had finished my career in Calgary. Daryl Sutter was the GM, and Daryl had, had talked to me about uh, taking an assistant coaching position in, in the American League at the time uh, in Lowell, where they were running the team. And I, I wasn't ready for that and didn't want to move. And so he uh, kind of put me in touch with Brent and, and uh, you know, to see if there was any opportunity to um, to coach in Red Deer. And, and so Brent and I had a couple discussions throughout that year and he brought me on as an assistant coach um, at the beginning of the 05-06 season. And at that point in time, I really wasn't sure where I wanted that to go. I was just happy to, to have my foot in the door and, and be still be in the game. But I really thought it would kind of give me a focus and keep me at the rink for the first couple of years while I transitioned into going to school. And um, as it turned out, the more the more I, uh, the more I time I spent coaching, the more I enjoyed it. The more I enjoyed it, the better I got. The better I got, the more responsibility Brent gave me. And and all of a sudden, a couple of years later, I'm the head coach and GM. And it wasn't really by design. It just kind of kind of happened. And I, and I loved every minute of it. Um, and and uh, would love to have continued to pursue it. Had some good opportunities along the way, but. Um, ultimately I had, uh, a young family. I, uh, when it came to an end, my, my kids were six and seven. And, um, as much as I loved coaching, I, I also know that the lifestyle is, is very, uh, difficult and, and there's not a lot of stability. And I didn't want my kids bouncing all over North America, um, while they were trying to go through school. And I, I just wanted them to have a foundation and have a community and grow up in one place. So, um, when that came to an end, my intention was to move into the, into the real world, so to speak. And I, I investigated a lot of different opportunities, kind of settled on the oil and gas industry and, yeah. and uh, uh, went to work for a company called Quinn Contracting, who, which was owned by a local guy uh, out of Rocky Mountain House by the name of Jim Quinn, who was a huge sponsor of the Rebels and got to know him during my time uh, uh, playing with the team. So I was really excited for that. And uh, it was a real good company, great place to work. Um, but coming out of a highly competitive environment, it was the day to day was much different for about six months. That breather was, was nice. Uh, but then I got really bored really quickly and I, and I just missed the the environment. And in the meantime, I, I had, uh, uh, spoken with Kenny Holland had drafted me in, in Detroit and he was one of the first guys that called when I first got uh, let go by the rebels and, um, he kind of gave me the four one one on what you do as a fired coach. And I said, well, honestly, Kenny, I, I really, uh, it's not what I want to pursue and I'm going to take some time and think about it, but I, we'd like to stay in red deer. And I'm, I'm kind of curious about, about scouting. I'd be interested in that. So long story short, he, uh, St. Louis had an opportunity and, and Doug Armstrong and Ken Holland are, are pretty tight. So St. Louis happened to be looking for, a uh, had an opening in, on their staff and I got the opportunity to come on full or sorry, part-time. Uh, while I was working with Quinn and, and again it was more or less just to keep my foot in the door keep the option open experience it's sort of not unlike my my foray into coaching and uh, as it turned out I, I did two years part-time and and was at a crossroads where I, I really felt I needed to either 
focus my time on uh, on the business world or or um, you know going to full time scouting. And I, I really hadn't even considered going into full time scouting. But uh, Billy Armstrong, the director in St. Louis, approached me about coming on full time and had a sit down with my wife and and we discussed this. And I just you know I didn't think I wanted to be on the road that much, be away from my kids that much, and. Uh, Jen just looked and said, you know, why are you fighting this? Like this, this is what you do. This is what you love. You've been in hockey and this is the path you've wanted to follow since you were a, a little kid. So, you know, we'll be fine. Let's give it a shot and see how it goes. And so that was seven years ago now, I guess. And nice. um, here we are. So it, uh, it's been uh, a really, it, uh, sorry, scouting is much different than coaching. It's a, you know, you look after yourself and you're looking yeah. at the game a different way, but um, to your, to your question, the long-winded answer, but certainly the coaching background and the coaching experience, I think really gives you a, a huge edge on, uh, evaluating players and certainly not that you can't do it without a coaching background, but I think having the ability to, to look at players from a coach's perspective, look at situations from a coach's perspective. Um, and, and, you know, I've always said as a, as a scout, you can, you can evaluate the talent, but, you know, no matter where that player plays, there is a coach that has to put him on the ice. And is that coach going to be able to get this guy on the ice and what's yeah. he going to need to do with him to get him on the ice? So I, I, I think there's definitely advantages to, uh, to having that background. And I lean on that experience a lot. Can you tell us a bit about just the, the structure of the scouting system with an NHL team and, and kind of what your role is and how it relates to the other roles? Yeah, you bet. Um, so really it, it, I would say it works from, from the ground up. Um, so when I started with St. Louis, I was, I was a regional scout and, and the way we were set up, we had, uh, uh, two guys in the Western hockey league. So there was myself and I, I was part-time and a guy by the name of Jay Nemec, who has become a, a very dear friend, uh, uh a colleague, but a, a great personal friend as well. And we, we worked together with, uh, uh, in the Western hockey league. And my responsibility was primarily the, the Eastern conference and Jay covered the entire league with a a focus on the Western conference. And just given that this league is so big and covers such a big geographical area, it, it's, uh, you know, some teams only use one guy, some teams have two full-time guys. Um, but that was the, the system we kind of used. And um, so that was at the, at the regional level, we have guys in kind of every area, the Quebec league, the Ontario league, uh, throughout the U S the USHL. And then of course, through Europe, and, and your job is really to, to know your players inside out and put those guys on the board. Um, so you, you put your list together, you evaluate the players based on the criteria that the team is looking for. Um, and then the next level, you have your, your crossover scouts. So, so those crossover scouts are, are basically directed by the area guys. And here are the guys you need to see. Here are the guys that we're, we're looking at and, you know, the top prospects and mid-tier and whatnot. And the crossovers are really focused on, on the top, uh, you know, the top part of the draft, those first two picks. So, you know, they don't have time to, to kind of run around and see everybody. Um, right. So the, the regional guys prioritize, here's the top guys, here's the guys that we're really interested in and you need to see. So those guys kind of go through and watch and focus on those top players in each area and then combine it. So they okay. see the top guys through the West, the top guys through Ontario, um, through worldwide and then put the, uh, put the overall list together. So it's a, it's a really you're interesting You're all jockeying process. for your, my number one's better than your number one. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 So when, so, when, uh, uh, yeah, sorry, carry on. Please, no, please. that's okay. Yeah. Um, that's, that's really the essence of it. And, and I guess the, what do you call the scouting cycle, so to speak, you, you try and get a good book on these players throughout different, uh, uh, you know, different, periods of time so you hopefully in, in a lot of cases you're trying to get views on them as underages um, get viewings on them at the U17 tournament and then if they're playing in a in a league where you're where you're getting coverage obviously if they're playing midget hockey it's tough to go see them but guys that are playing in the in the CHL or in the USHL you're going to see those guys a little bit as as underage players and you're obviously not focused on them but you have a little bit of a picture of uh of what they are coming, coming into the league and, and as a young player, and then you get, you know, having that background gives you a little bit of opportunity to, to gauge the kind of development, the trajectory that they have. Kale McCarr is a great example of that. 
uh, played in the Alberta Junior League at 16. And, you know, the first time I saw Kel McCarr, you, you could see there was something there. He was a, a smaller player. He was only about five foot seven or five foot eight at the time and skated well, but, uh, you know, certainly wasn't a standout player. And you sure didn't look at him and go, geez, two years from now, this guy's going to be a top five pick and a star in the NHL. Um, but watching his development over a period of a couple of years, you could just see the trajectory that gave you the confidence. You know what, this kid's going to just continue to get better. So those underage views are, are, uh, are definitely important when you can get them. And, and it gives you kind of the start of the book on these kids. And then uh, going into their draft year, the Holinka plays a big role in putting guys on the board and kind of getting your list in order to start with. And then uh, the beginning of the year, I would say till, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of, you know, mid-November, early December, you're trying to get a good book on everyone. Um, your area guys are running around seeing all the teams, seeing uh, everybody across the league, trying to get an idea of who those uh, top guys are. And then from there, your filter gets tighter. And over the second half, you go through your midterm meetings and kind of put your preliminary overall list together as a group and determine who the guys are that, uh, that you really want to track through the second half. And um, those are the guys that the crossover guys really, uh, really dial into and, and try to figure out and get a good read on and get in the right order. Um, and the area guys are, are doing the same thing. They're, they're, you know, they need to know those guys inside and out. And yet at the same time, they're still, uh, making sure that they're touching base and watching, watching everybody. Cause there's always guys, the, the outliers that come on a little bit later and they're later developers and whatnot. So, um, that area role is a huge role. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of ground to cover. And, uh, um, you know, the, I've always said, I was asked one time what the, what the best asset or what the most important attribute of being a scout is. And it, it's, I think it's no different than anything in life, but we talk about work ethic and, and being a good scout. It's the first most important thing is being at the rink. You have to be at the rink. You have to see games. You have to watch these kids. Cause you, the more you see them, the better you're going to get to know them and the better decisions you're going to get to make. How much of your read Jesse goes beyond or off the ice, like to their personalities, you know, you're dealing with young, young players, their, their parents, like, okay, he's five, seven today, but dad's six, two, you know, how, yeah. how much of that do you find lends itself at the NHL level? Uh, it, it's huge. It's a big component of it. Um, again, you want as much info as you, as you can get and having the family history, the family background, um, you know, just, just, uh, from a growth perspective, but also from a, from a, a personality perspective and mentality perspective, all, all those things, their, their upbringing, their background, uh, all those factors play into, um, you know, what type of player a, a player is, but also the, you know, to, to get to that level, everybody's a good player. When you get drafted, you're, you know, they're all good players and the competition is very fierce, but, um, you know, it's often the intangibles that are going to allow players to, to crawl through the, the exactly so uh so yeah we spend a lot of time on on that background work yeah i i often think like on the in the business world that uh, you've touched on a few times that um it's funny how scouting isn't as prevalent i'll say in in business where well we we need to fill this hole now so now we go look whereas no you should have been cultivating and scouting and you know building up those those opportunities to find these people before you finally need them. And, and I, I find that uh, just such, you know, great people step into those roles when you, when you prep that way, and when you've got that good, good scouting happening on the, on the biz side, can you, uh, I'm, I'm just curious, what, what do you think's your best dark horse pick that you helped cultivate over the years that uh, really, really shone through later on? Uh well, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to say, uh, you know, we didn't draft real heavily out of the Western hockey league through my time here. We had, uh, took a couple of red deer rebels. We took, uh, Adam Musil in the fourth round and, and Connor Bleakley in the fifth round. Um, neither of those guys are still in the organization. Uh, never had a high pick, never had a pick, uh, come out of the top three rounds during my time, just the way it turns out. It, it's funny. Um, you know, we, there's, there's sometimes a mentality about, you know, getting your guy. And, and I think the good staffs are staffs that work together to get the right guy, regardless of who that is. I think the key is to evaluate and, and look at your guys and where you would want them, where you would take them um, and, and, and get that list right. And, and 
Um, so sometimes that means you, you get a guy out of your area and sometimes you don't. And, and, uh, in my case, we, we, uh, we never took a, a guy in the, in with a high pick out of the Western hockey league, just the way it worked out. We did have guys in that mix over time. Uh, uh, but it just never worked out. So, um, as far as my own picks, I, I would say the guy that I have the most hope for at, at this point in time that I, uh, um, probably had the most influence on was, uh, Joel Hoffer, who was the goalie for the, for team Canada this year, was drafted out of swift current and, uh, um, played in Portland here the last couple of years. So, uh, again, we, all those picks are made as a staff. Um, we had our goalie, uh, you know, my job was to identify and, and, um, uh, you know, get the initial read and, and prioritize who guys need to see. So he was a guy that I, you know, kind of got a bit of a, a tip on a heads up on from, uh, from a friend of mine in Swift Current. So you need to get in here and see this kid. And, um, he didn't play a lot. He was playing behind Stuart Skinner. And, uh, so he didn't get a lot of ice time. And I just, I happened to see him on the right night where that, that first impression is often really important. That's going to determine whether you go back again. And I, I got a real good read on this kid the first night that I saw him and, and just saw a lot of potential in him. So from there, um, you get the, get the goalie, uh, scout in, uh, Dave Rogalski in St. Louis, who's a, a great guy and works very hard. So he got in to see Joel as well and really liked him and the crossover guys get in from there. So, um, at the end of the day, the picks are, they're, they're all made as a group. You, you yeah. work together as a, as a team and, and, uh, you know, put these guys, uh, get these guys into your organization. So, um, I certainly don't take credit for the pick, but he's, uh, he'd be the guy that I'm most excited about as far as guys I had influence on. So the, uh, the upcoming draft is what, about a month now getting, getting the itch that got, got, oh, I, I've <laughs> never looked forward to a draft. Like I'm looking forward to this one. Oh, we've one been that Zoom call for six months. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, it's uh, it was originally October 9th and 10th, and now it's been moved up to the sixth and seventh, or fifth and sixth, whatever it is. So yeah, uh, it's a couple of days earlier. So uh, barring any more unforeseen changes coming about, uh, that that's when it'll be. So we're well prepared. Um, we're still continuing to to work, uh, and and the beauty of it now is we're actually able to see uh, some of these guys. The, the European leagues have started up. Uh, so the, the Swedes are playing, the Finns are playing, obviously we can't get over there, but, uh, we do have the, the local regional guys over there that are watching games and we're able to watch some games online. So it's, it's, uh, you know, somewhat beneficial, I guess I think it is anyway, I, I guess time will tell, is it beneficial or is it detrimental? I don't know, but, um, it is unique in that we, uh, have an opportunity to see these, uh, these guys going into the next season uh, as far as, uh, how they've developed and, and where they're at. So, um, we are spending lots of time doing that and, and, uh, the calls and conference calls and video calls and interviews nice. will all continue to heat up here over the next three weeks, uh, to a month leading up to this draft. Right on. Oh, that'll be good. Like you say, <laughs> everyone's itching to get back there. As oh, we no wrap question. up here, Jesse, uh, looking ahead, uh, just curious, uh, aspirations to get behind the bench or are you seeing, you liking more your place behind the scenes and more of the business side of hockey. What do you think? Um, yeah, I, I would say, Lolly, I definitely uh, stay on this side of the game. Um, I really enjoy what I'm doing. I really enjoyed the, uh, the scouting aspect of it. And um, being with the Red Wings now, I, I had uh, uh, seven years with the Blues organization um, loved every minute of it. Uh, had a chance to be a part of another Stanley Cup championship there last year. And uh, uh, just a, a phenomenal group of people. Doug Armstrong was, uh, was first class and uh, learned so much from him um, on the, you know, the way to run an organization. And um, some of the people in the organization, Larry Plo, who uh, was a former GM, was on the scouting side as an advisor and just a a wealth of knowledge, Davey Taylor, uh, who is kind of Doug's right-hand man and, and, uh, another former GM. So the, the wealth of experience in the organization and Tony Feltron, who was a mentor to me, um, has scouted since the mid eighties, uh, had lost his career. I believe he was 25 or 26 years old, went right into scouting. So he's still, he's not even 60 years old yet. And, and yet he's got 30 years plus as an NHL scout. So, getting to lean on, on, uh, his ear and learn from him was, uh, a, a great, uh, great opportunity for me and, and just a great group of guys overall. So I, I really enjoyed my time there. 
Um, moving over to Detroit gave me the opportunity to step up into the, into the chief scout role and, uh, um, you know, in that crossover role. And, and I've really enjoyed that. It's, it's a different challenge. Uh, you're covering a lot more territory um, uh, and, and obviously focused on a, on a portion of the draft uh, that's very important. And, and in Detroit right now, we're obviously, uh, you know, at, at the bottom right now, and, and we've got a lot of work ahead of us and the draft's going to be a huge component of, of piecing that back together again and getting back to where we want to be. But um, getting to work with a bunch of ex-teammates, uh, Steve Eisman's our, our GM, of course, and Chris Draper's my direct boss, his director of scouting, yep. uh, Yuri Fisher, uh, uh, Kirk Maltbeer on the pro side. So Pat Verbeek's our assistant GM. So it's it's really neat uh, to be a lot back. Of hockey with royalty uh, behind the scenes there. Yeah, yeah, no question. And yep. um, so we have really enjoyed uh, being back with the Red Wings and and uh, working with this group of guys that I, I got to play with and. Um, you know, where that takes me, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, uh, I'd love to, to sit here and tell you, I, I, I'm going to be an NHL GM someday. I'd, I'd love to have that opportunity, but, um, I, I'm really just taking it one day at a time. I, I know this, I, I'm really happy to be in the Red Wings organization and, uh, I hope that whatever advancements come in my career are, are within the Red Wings organization. And it would take uh, a lot to pry me away from the Red Wings organization at this point in time. So um, I'm really just focused on doing the best job I can in the role that I'm in. And I, uh, I'm hopeful that uh, by doing that, things will present themselves and opportunities will come along to slide up the organization as uh, in the right time. We, uh, we wish you great success with that. And I'm, I'm really thankful that you were able to make some time for Cam and I uh, this morning to, to join us on the Top Cheddar podcast. Uh, Love hearing these stories of, you know, everyone's, uh, you know, comic book number one, how, how the roots of it all began. And uh, good to see a, a Saskatchewan boy make good. Uh, hey, Lolly, before we're done here, can I give you a little plug? Oh, I'm getting a plug? Okay. It's you a little late plug, in the game you get a plug. You wait until the very end to give me a plug. <laughs> well, I was waiting for it to get teed up. Nobody teed it up for me. So I just got to bring it up myself. Okay. Tee it up. The Making of Champions. Oh, yes. champions, And I believe it was Robert Oliver. I've got it on my bookshelf behind me. I could actually pull it out and look, yeah. but um, that book, I believe it was written in 1990. I, I pulled it out here yesterday because I was looking and uh, I, I did, my mom used to write in every book she ever gave me. I love to read. I got millions of books. I used to read voraciously <laughs> as a kid. And for some reason, she didn't write in that particular book. And it might have been because it was from Santa Claus, but he usually used to write in them too. So I don't know. <laughs> I know I got it for Christmas. I don't know if it was 90 or 91. But okay. what I do know is that I read that book cover to cover about a dozen times. Nice. And it was a staple of my youth. And yeah. it was my, like, that was my light that shone on the Western Hockey League. I read that book and there was, was just, awesome. it, 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 uh, it was just, I, I loved it. I absolutely loved it from, from cover to cover. And it, uh, it really fed my spirit to, to pursue junior hockey in the Western Hockey League. And, and again, cool that? just yep. the opportunity yeah. to see inside that window of the dream within the dream. And I, uh, I, read I cherish that book. That book. I read Sorry, that book too. No, I read that book too. Um, and it, it, that's the one where he follows couple guys from the blades was it uh, two from uh from peterborough yeah, so robert albert was a writer yeah. with uh the toronto sun and um going into the 88 89 season he he picked three teams uh picked saskatoon just purely because we were the host of the memorial cup that year uh and then the other was um uh, peterborough and, and yeah. laval so the he had a crystal ball he picked, he had all three teams going into the memorial cup uh, Mike Ricci, Donald Audette, uh, Patrice Brisbois. So clearly, Thomas clearly Thomas I was the most famous of the, of yep. the bunch. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I, I was the, he, he picked a different type of player. Um, Tracy Katalnikov, our teammate was the 20 year old, uh, TK and, and I was the 16 year old rookie. So my part in the book was, uh, being a whiny little suck who, who was missing. <laughs> and, and, but it's funny, Jesse, you say like giving you an, an, um, a window into behind the scene, like in the league. I, I remember when I came as a young guy, 
having just like we didn't have the WHL in St. Albert or Edmonton right. at the time yeah. and just we had no exposure to the to the game at all and and it was funny as as in my in my final year as a 20 year old you know 16 year olds coming up to me yeah mom bought me that book when i, when I was 12 or 13 <laughs> age you but no thanks for sharing that that was a that was a pretty cool uh cool book and it, it was uh, an honor to be a part of um uh, i i still have my copy and i i think he did say by canadian standards it was a bestseller it, it's Is that right it about 10,000 books uh, back, back in the day. So that yeah, was good. That was a popular hockey book. Yeah. When that came oh, out, it was. it was everywhere. Yeah, but I, I loved it. So Mooner said the other day, yeah, you know, Rob Lawish and I'd like to have you, have you on. I said, oh, Lolly. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was the book. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Awesome. Th- thanks for sharing that, Jesse. That, that, Absolutely. Uh, I, I appreciate that lots and really appreciate you, you coming on the show with us and, and sharing just some just some great stories and and uh look forward to having a beer with you soon my friend absolutely look forward to that as well thanks for having me guys awesome folks thanks for joining us on the top cheddar podcast big thanks to our sponsor twigandberries.ca for all the men's apparel you need be sure to check them out if you haven't done so yet please be sure to subscribe to the show it's available on spotify apple google podcasts and more you can head to topcheddar.ca. We've got all kinds of great stories that we've done and, and more coming soon. Uh, my man, Cam Moon, thank you. Hey. And, and Jesse Wallen, thank you so much for joining us today.